1990, I experienced an unfortunate event in my life. I was robbed in a city park, in a safe part of town. A group of strangers approached me and drew a weapon, pointed it at me and demanded money. They took my cash, my wallet, my ID, everything of value that I had. It was very scary and it was chaotic, but it wasn't over yet. The situation quickly escalated from an armed robbery to an assault. Unconscious, I lay on the ground where the group continued to kick me. I awoke in the ER of a nearby hospital. The emergency physician told me he was happy to see me alive because when my friends wheeled me through the front door, he thought I was DOA, dead on arrival. It took months for my body to heal. There were bruises and lacerations. It took years to no longer feel vulnerable ashamed. Years later, there are two important takeaways that have persuaded me to share this story with you today. The first one is forgiveness. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and he commands us to forgive. I follow that commandment, but I happen to agree with it in principle. And I have forgiven the attackers long, long ago. The second takeaway is this. I've asked the question, why? Why would a group of complete strangers attack so violently someone who was innocent? I wasn't doing anything. I don't think I'll ever know the answer to that question, but you may understand in the times which we live I have wondered if it was racially motivated because my skin color and the skin color of the attackers, it were different. That is the strangest human trait, is it not? Human beings, all members of the same race, seem to have this natural disposition to emphasize differences between one and another, between ourselves and others. We have this propensity to categorize people into, into uh, descriptions that make sense to us. We put them into groups. For some, it's important to say, this one is from the North and this one's from the South. For others, they will say, uh, this one is American-born, and this other one was born in another country. That's important to them. To someone, it's important to say, this is male, and that one's female. These are very different. Some say young and old. Another says rich and poor. But all of these categories boil down to two main groups. There are those who are us. And then there are those who are not us. There are those we hold close. They mean a lot to us, don't they? And there are those that we keep at arm's length. They don't mean very much at all to us. There are some we accept, and there are some we reject. 
There are some who are insiders in our lives. We trust them with the most intimate of details. And there are some that are on the outside. There are those we embrace and those we exclude. Our ethnicity, our nationality, our background don't matter. Each one of us has the personal agency to make those decisions about who we include and who we exclude. And it is a powerful feeling. The feeling to rank other people and to make a decision about who is in and who is most definitely not in. It's only when we're on the receiving end of someone's judgment that we feel the sting of their rejection. We feel in our, in our spirits their, their dismissal of us, their devaluing of us as a person. Have you ever felt like you were an outsider? It can be a profoundly painful experience, and there's a reason for it. Child welfare advocate Amelia Frank Meyer says this, as human beings, all of us, we have a need to connect. We need this. It's not optional. It's instinctive. It comes to us when we are babies. What does a baby do when it has a need? It lays there in its crib or its bed and it cries until someone comes in to pick up that baby and nurture that baby with love and care. This is what's so fascinating. Not just anyone will do. It needs to be the same someone picking up that baby or the same group of people who show care for that baby in order for a connection to occur. It's not just the connection, but the claiming. Do you follow me? The claiming by another person. When that claiming takes place, we feel we have a place where we belong. Babies are vulnerable, but you know what? It doesn't change when we grow up into adults, does it? We're still vulnerable. We still get sick sometimes, we feel vulnerable. We get lonely sometimes, we feel vulnerable. We need to live in communities and in families so we know we have a sense of protection around this because we know we can't make this work on our own. We need the protection of the group. We need the connection. We need a community to accept us and claim us. Uh, and if we don't have that, we feel like we don't belong. And when we feel like we don't belong, we push other people away. We can't make that connection because we're consumed by our own survival. When we can't make these connections because we don't feel welcome and accepted, we cannot belong and we cannot thrive and we cannot flourish. Let's lighten this for a second. There's an American singer-songwriter named Paul Simon. He tells a funny and true story. He was preparing for a concert one afternoon for the evening concert, and he, he pushed to open the backstage door so he could go outside for some fresh air. But you know those heavy metal doors, it closed on its own and it locked, and he couldn't get back inside the theater. He had to, world-famous Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Paul Simon had to walk all the way around the theater to find an open door. And when he reached the theater doors, 
there was one of those security guards, you know, whenever you go to a, 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 a concert like that. I like to imagine him being about six foot eight and muscles out to here. And the security guard didn't recognize Paul Simon. And because Paul Simon wasn't wearing that security VIP uh, bracelet, that wristband, he wouldn't let Paul Simon back into the Paul Simon concert. And I find that kind of funny. No one else does, but I do. <laughs> well, Simon writes about this in one of his songs called Wristband. He sings from the point of view of the security guard. Here's what he says. You've got to have a wristband, my man. You've got to have a wristband. And if you don't have a wristband, my man, you don't get through the door. <laughs> Does everybody understand? Wristband, my man, you've got to have a wristband. And if you don't have a wristband, my man, you don't get through the door. And through the poet's ear, Simon was able to exegete the times in which we live. And he realized there are a lot of people that don't have a wristband, not to access the concert hall, but to access a life and an arena where they feel protected and claimed by their peer groups, by their country, by their society. They don't have a wristband. And without a wristband, you don't get through the door. When we feel that someone loves us and claims us, we found the place where we belong. Christ shows us not only how to love those that we embrace, they matter to us, right? Christ demonstrates how we love the other, okay. who needs that connection in order to thrive. He teaches us to love beyond what is natural. He teaches us how to love in a way that is divine. This is Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Some translations say this, if you love only those who love you, that's natural love, by the way, what credit is that to you? You see, naturally, if somebody loves me, I would love them back. That would make sense. We all understand that. But Jesus said, even sinners love those who love them. The implication Jesus is making is that divine love is not natural love. Divine love reaches further beyond our comfort zone, beyond what we would normally and naturally do. It loves in a greater way. Jesus loves in a greater way. Jesus goes on to say this, if you do good to those who are good to you, natural love, if you do good to me, I do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. The implication Jesus is making is that divine love goes beyond natural love. Divine love goes beyond natural love. The love that Jesus has is not natural love. It's divine love. Paul writes this as an example of how Jesus would demonstrate this in a way that we could see. He gives us a picture, so we take an abstract idea and we say, put it into an object, put it into a person so I can make sense of this idea. And this is the picture Paul gives us in Romans. He says this, God demonstrates his own love for us. Is that natural love? Oh, no, no. Divine love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while 
we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A sinner is not a person that you are going to naturally embrace. It's a wicked person. You are not going to naturally embrace a wicked person. You're going to keep that person who's threatening, scary, unsafe, makes us feel uncomfortable. We're going to keep that person at a distance. But that's not what Jesus did. God demonstrated his love by sending his son while we were at arm's length apart from who we would believe would be worthy of the death of Christ. In Romans 5.10, Paul continues, while we were God's enemies. Does everybody know what an enemy is? We were reconciled to him through the death of his son while we were enemies. Sinners and enemies aren't those you would naturally draw close to you, but those are the ones that God draws close to him. Natural love and divine love, very different. God demonstrates his divine love in this, and in the manner of our relationships, this is the pivot from, this is how God does things, this is how God demonstrates this love. He pivots now, Paul pivots and says, in our relationship to other believers, this is actually from Philippians 2, Paul writes, to the church, to believers, to the body of Christ, to the ones that have natural love, but they're learning to love like God the Father. Paul writes, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Does this sound like different and separate to anybody? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That might be natural love or vain conceit. Rather in humility, which is the practice of Christ, value who? Others. Above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, because that's not what Jesus did. But listen to this each of you to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, Jesus Christ. Looking to the interests of other believers. Each of us decides who we will embrace and who we will exclude. This propensity to organize people into groups of exclusion and embrace is so particularly strange when it happens inside the church. Weird enough in this broken world, but it happens inside the church as well. Can anyone help me understand how we would rationalize this? Because I can't make sense of it. Does anybody know how long differences and diversity have been part of the church? Since the very beginning, there is no way that an Ethiopian eunuch and a, and a, a, a Galilean fisherman and a Corinthian patron are the same person. There's no way that a Jew and a Gentile are the same person. Diversity was part of the church from the very, very beginning. But listen to this. Different is good. Different is not the problem. 
Difference is what gives strength to the body. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, just as a body, he's talking about the people, but also the human body has many parts and uh, all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Different parts make the body strong. Would anyone prefer it if we lived in a world where we were all identical and all of us were the same? How boring, how boring. God loves variety and God loves strength and God loves unity. I want to paraphrase one of my favorite theologians, theologians, Miroslav Volf, who says this, the church has many differences. It is not a white church, is it? It is not an American church, is it? It is a church that is a global church and it is very, very different all around this big, beautiful world. But differences make us healthy. Differences are what give us our identity. You could, you could make the case and say, listen, why don't we just dissolve these boundaries around us that make us different? We'll all be the same. We'll all be one. We'll all just be the same. But we would lose our identity that way. We would lose our culture. We would lose our strengths, our distinctives. The things that make us who we are would be lost. What we want to avoid is this exclusion. Difference is between people give strength, but exclusion is the problem. And let me define it, Exclu uh, uh, quoting Miroslav Volf. Exclusion only occurs when we take a person who is different from us because of their differences, and then we push them outside the sphere of our care. To not care about someone else, particularly in the church because they are different, is not a divine love. It's not even a natural love. It is a rejection and a judgment and a prejudice that is wicked and sinful and should not be in the church. Like so many this spring, I was listening to the voices of black Americans and I was listening to the voices of black friends from other nations. Some of these voices I know and I love. Some of them were strangers I listened to through my computer screen to hear what they had to say. And as I listened, I, hear, I heard these voices saying something, and if you would allow me the grace to just simplify what I think I heard. I heard these voices saying that they wanted to live in a fair world. They wanted to live in a just world. They wanted to live and experience non-prejudicial treatment in every sphere of life. They wanted acceptance, not rejection. They wanted to be an insider and not treated as an outsider. They wanted embrace rather than exclusion. And they wanted to be claimed by a country and treated as value rather than to be treated as the other. I thought of Paul saying this, we were all, this is the church, baptized into one Holy Spirit. How many Holy Spirits? One one Holy Spirit, and so we are formed into one body, one body. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And as I listened to all this and processed it, I had to think more deeply. Let me give you my takeaways as I wrap up.
I don't have, if you will, if you will trust me as friends, I don't have an ounce of ill will towards another person based on the color of their skin. It's not my nature and it is not my interest. But I had to repent. I had to ask, what does God expect of his followers when we see and hear Christian brothers and sisters telling us in every way they know how that they are experiencing deep, wounding injustice in their life experience? Is there any moral obligation in the church when we hear these voices? Or do we just say, hey man, I'll pray for you. Have a great day. We must embrace God's people who are different from us and have been since the beginning of the church and draw them close into our sphere of care. God gave the church a great equalizer and an instrument of revolutionary social change and equality. Do you know what he gave us? A table of bread and the blood of Christ. Because anyone who comes to Christ comes to him needing the same grace and the same redemption. There is no hierarchy. Everyone comes on their knees. Everyone needs forgiveness. It is a great equalizer, is it not? And so I want to leave you with this one word of application. Please don't listen to this as just the ending of a sermon. I've meditated on this to, for months, and it means something. And I, I want to believe that it can mean something to someone else in a world that's been saying, what do we do? What do we do? What are we supposed to do about racial injustice? Each person, each person has the personal agency to decide to whom they will give that wristband of claiming and inclusion not ownership, the wristband of embrace. To, I'll leave you with this question. To whom will you give the wristband of inclusion in your life? Your love is precious. To whom will you give the, rest, the wristband that says, I will protect you. You mean something to me. You have value to me. You're not just someone I've made a connection with. You are someone I have claimed. You are part of me. To whom will you extend the wristband so that they may be cared for and find their place where they belong? Praise be to God. Amen.